Well, good morning. As we gather, let's prepare our hearts for worship by hearing the words of this song. Welcome to Worship at Fusion. We're so glad that you're here. At this time, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 24. Lift up your hearts. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. I invite you to stand in worship.
seated. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see you all out on such a dreary day as today. It's just, but you know, that song says it all. It doesn't matter if it's dreary outside or if the sun is shining. We have to praise his name. It doesn't matter if I'm hurting or if I'm feeling good today. We still have to praise his name. We have to choose to step forward and say, yes, God, you are the one I want to praise today. So first order of business is the children can be dismissed. You guys have your own Sunday school today downstairs, which is great. And today we're going to hear from Pastor Bill later, so that'll be a wonderful thing also. One order of business that I want to just reinforce is after the service is finished, we are not supposed to conjugate in here. We are not supposed to visit with people in here. We need to exit all the way outside and visit outside instead. So just know that, just keep yourself going right out the door outside and then see the people outside instead. Today for prayer, I'm gonna do the Lord's Prayer again. And it's not like it's again, because God told us um, this is how we should pray. But I want to do it again that we have a silence time. So I'll speak a, I'll speak a phrase, and we're gonna have a silent time. So if it means you need to Praise God if you need to dump what's laying heavy on your heart for what happened during this week, if you need to ask for forgiveness for whatever. Do it during those silent times. Take yourself to God. I don't need to be the one that enters in and does this in between. We can do it ourselves. Let's pray. Our Father. who is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Amen. 
Lord, help us to forgive our debtors. Lord, lead me not into temptation. And Lord, by Jesus Christ, deliver us from evil. For Lord, the kingdom Lord, and we give you the power. Lord, we give you the glory forever. Lord, help us as we go through the rest of this week so we can live by that prayer alone. Amen. Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, Fusion. We're in the book of Daniel, and part of the thinking with Daniel is that um, Daniel was carried from Jerusalem to Babylon. Many of us feel like we're living in a very different place than we were 20, 30, 40 years ago. What can we see in Daniel that will guide us and fill us and instruct us for living faithfully by the gospel in this moment? Now, all of these passages and these stories have tended to be kind of long, so we've been struggling with just how to go about doing that. And I want to begin the first portion of this reading with a, a Dutch painting. Does Rembrandt qualify here in Holland? There he is, and this is his painting, um, Belshazzar's Feast. And it's kind of his artistic representation of this particular moment in Scripture. When he painted this, it was in the mid-1630s, and uh, Rembrandt was a young, newly moved to Amsterdam, just budding artist. And yet he captures kind of the tension and the challenge of this moment in a marvelous way. You can see Belshazzar. He's the one with the hat right in the middle. This is the guy who's ostensibly in charge, but he looks a little like he's not quite sure what to do. That's because in this moment, you see the goblets there. Those goblets are actually taken from the temple in Jerusalem. His granddad, Nebuchadnezzar, as he overran Jerusalem, he pillaged the temple where God was worshipped, and he brought those artifacts back. And now Belshazzar wants to throw a party. You'll learn that Belshazzar is the kind of guy who can gather friends so long as he's paying for it. That's the kind of guy he was. He's using those goblets. He's pressing what was used for the worship of the living God now into a drunken party. And in the midst of this, boom, a hand shows up and the handwriting on the wall. This is where we get that um, expression here. Uh, he sees that and 
Oh, is he surprised and he doesn't know what to do. Uh, his grandma says, oh, come on, kid. Let's call Daniel. Who? Daniel. He helped grandpa. Let's get that to happen. And so Daniel comes in, and I'm going to pick up the story reading at verse 22. Um, you follow along with me. This is what Daniel begins to speak to um, Belshazzar in this moment. Daniel's voice. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription on the wall. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel parson. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have so deeply loved your people that centuries ago uh, you put this event into writing through the hands of a scribe, an author, and you've preserved it across centuries so that now right here in Holland, Michigan, in this day, we can open those texts, translate them, meditate, study, and gathered to preach and to hear. I pray, Holy Spirit, that just as you have been at work across centuries to bring this moment to pass, you would be present to illumine our hearts and minds. Guard your people from my brokenness and confusion as a sinner. And because of your great and marvelous love, make Jesus clear and compelling the hope of the gospel. Fill us with marvelous hope, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Thank you. It's an interesting moment in history. And I want to tell you something. I, I won't dwell on this. If you look at the sermon resources that your pastors are doing each week, there'll be a link in the uh, worship uh, email that you would have gotten for today. It's on the homepage of the website. If you're watching online, that sort of thing, you can go to our weekly sermon resources. And I posted a blog. When I was a freshman in college, I was taught that Belshazzar really didn't exist. He was historical fiction. He's only mentioned in the Bible. Lo and behold, his mention outside of the Bible was in a museum waiting to be translated. And about 10 years after I graduated, boom, suddenly Belshazzar's place in history was established. I'm thankful and appreciative for God's word and its reliability and truth and substance. Check out that blog and some of the other resources. We, there's so much in Daniel that we've got to just move past. I'll pass that on to you and pick up from it there. These are interesting figures. This Belshazzar, I want to tell you something. He was not really a top drawer kind of king. There was not much to be proud of in his life. He was top dog in Babylon, but, well, frankly, it hardly mattered. He had not built Babylon. That was grandpa's work. He had not commanded conquering armies as they expanded the territory and built a kingdom. He'd not overseen and set up an extended ruling administration to cultivate business and trade and thriving in the land. Actually, the way he got to be king in this moment, his dad got so scared, he skipped town, and on the way out, he said, oh, why don't you be in charge? See ya. <laughs> and so here he is. What do I do? 
Why don't I gather some friends? No friends? Well, I'll throw a party. He was the kind of guy who only had friends while he was paying. And now in the moment of the crisis, the handwriting on the wall, he didn't know what to do or where to turn. But he was bailed out by the queen mother. It's kind of grandma comes in and tells him what to do. She's been kind of running the place anyhow, you can imagine. Did you ever see Downton Abbey? I had to look this up on the internet because I was not a Downton fan. But there's the Dowager Countess of Grantham, Violet Crowley. There's the Queen Mother. And she says, don't you remember Daniel? Call him. He helped the real king we all long for. Well, the thing that kind of made the moment here was the handwriting on the wall. The party is interrupted. And you see this thing. The king watched the hand as it wrote in verse 5 and 6. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his... Now, this is a funny translation. His legs became weak, and his knees were knocking. <laughs> That's kind of a polite English language way of saying what in the original language was. His bowels knotted. <laughs> if I were a little riskier, I might say... He was scared spitless. <laughs> it was that kind of moment. He was overwhelmed. And in the midst of this, the dowager says, call Daniel. Who? You see, let me tell you something about Daniel's life right now. At the end of chapter 4, Daniel had been about as high as you could go underneath the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel had been a chief advisor. He'd interpreted the dream. He told them what was happening. He'd stood up for people. He would trusted in God. And for 35 years, there'd been this growing relationship between Neb Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. And so now, Daniel's right there at the top. Then we get to chapter 5, and suddenly, Daniel who? Nobody remembers him. Daniel has been fired and forgotten. Demoted. He was just a memory in the minds of the old folks. Kind of like the Beatles. <laughs> I remember when. It was good then. Bring him back. And what does he do? Having been at the peak and then forgotten, he's called back, and it's amazing to me how Daniel responds. This really began to open up to me this week. Are you familiar with the spiritual discipline of Lectio Divino? Kind of meditating as you pray and study through the scripture. Kind of walking in the text and letting it shape your heart. I began to see how different Daniel's response was than mine. Daniel would go and speak with Belshazzar. There was no sense of rejection. No sense of, I told you so. No sense of, you know, if you're going to call me back after firing me, you're going to have to say nice things about me. He goes, and he's ready to encounter. Second, he won't be bought off or motivated by Belshazzar by Belshazzar's offer. In the midst of the crisis, Belshazzar says, I'll make anybody the third in command. You see, after that scroll, it was actually a clay cylinder. After that cylinder was um, translated, we realized that Belshazzar was only second in command. His dad, I'm leaving you, but I'm keeping the crown. And so all he could give away was third. And that's what he's offering. But Daniel says, no, I won't take it. I'm not going to be bought off. His identity was firmly related in his God. It's the same Daniel that we meet in Daniel 1. You know, Daniel 1 is not about a diet and how to be svelte and well considered by your people. Daniel 1 is a young man, probably middle school. See, this is why Nate DeWitt's and that ministry with our students is so critically important. He's a middle schooler. Think of that in Daniel 1. And he says, I'm not going to depend on the king's provision. I'm going to take whatever God gives me to eat, water, vegetables. I trust God. He is my identity. Well, that middle schooler is now an old man. 
and he still trusts God. He's not being bought off by Belshazzar. And then the way he serves Belshazzar without fear of consequences. He interprets the handwriting on the wall, even though it's bad news. Do you ever like to deliver bad news? Oh, be honest, sometimes we all do. If I look at my heart deep enough. About 15 years ago, I was kind of between ministry, we'll call it, and to get insurance and pay the bills and get my kids through college and all the things that are lost, uh, that are part of life, I was working in a place called Circuit City. I tell folks I was too young to go to Vietnam, but I did sell computers at Circuit City for two Black Fridays. I've seen combat. <laughs> well, for a season at Circuit City, I was, bless the Lord, fairly productive, so I was able to pay my bills. And then one day they fired me. You know why they fired me? Because I was selling too much. I'd been on commission and they wanted to move us to hourly and to make a comparable hourly offer. They couldn't afford it. So I was fired from a sales position for selling too much. And I want to tell you, if they had called me back in afterwards and said, you know, Bill, we've thought about it. Would, would you come back? I want to tell you, my heart was not like Daniel's. I would have been quick to make the point that, oh, so you really do miss. So I really was something. Oh, look at how different Daniel is. Daniel has worked his forgiveness issues. We just prayed, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As you have forgiven us, so help us to forgive others. You know how our debts got forgiven. It's the cross. It was blood. It was death. It was hard. But how many people will just change churches rather than work through their forgiveness issue. Stop going to church altogether. Have you ever seen somebody undermine the boss at work? Have you ever been in a family setting where somebody uh, will show up to the family picnic early and duck out early so I don't have to deal with that brother-in-law? Daniel has worked his forgiveness issues. Forgiveness issues. They're at the heart of what it means to live out of the gospel. I want to tell you something, friends. This is powerful and important in our moment. Here's why. There's so many reasons. I can't go into them all. I'll give you one, though. Justice and revenge are not interchangeable words. They're not synonyms. At the cross... God demonstrated he was both just. That's why we never compromise on the call to justice. But he was also justifier, and that's the gospel. You know, typically we, we read this chapter and we think of Daniel as the fearless, fiery prophet. He walks into the drunken party and he reads the riot act of this awful king, and we begin to think that that sort of behavior is just what we ought to do. Yeah. Well, let's see. If Daniel is forgotten, let's see just what this message that he brings is. The first, and I'll be reading here from Daniel 5, starting at 26. These words mean, Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. That means God is sovereign. You know what's being challenged here for me is my sovereignty. My desire to say, well, this is what I like. This is what I want. You know, our nation has been flooded by a new religion. I call it Build-A-Bear faith. I just kind of take a faith and I take what I like. And I end up with my faith. I want to tell you, God is sovereign. There is truth. He has made known to us what the times are, what he expects of us, what he has created us for. I don't go searching for an identity. Identity is something that because of what Jesus did at the cross, I'm able to receive. I don't have to go out and achieve it. 
So when I was working for Circuit City, instead of a Domini, I wasn't in the Dutch thing, but instead of some highfalutin pastor, I was still the same person because of what Jesus had done at the cross. God is sovereign is what he's telling Belshazzar here. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You're fallen short, Belshazzar. It's like if you go to the store and buy a pound of hamburger and you take it home and you've only got four, four ounces. That's found wanting. I've had folks say, oh, Bill, can you get me change for a $5 bill? My response is, yeah, here's two singles. <laughs> that changed it. But that's a change that's found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and it's given to the Medes and the Persians. You see, Belshazzar will be cast down and judged. Mene, sovereignty, he's found wanting. God's in charge. He doesn't measure up and there's a cost. Let me point you in the direction of something that I think is very important. I talk about this often at celebration and it's the way that when we go to the scripture with a particular question, we often find a particular answer. How you go reading the Bible affects what you hear from the Bible. The answer we go looking for or expecting it often affects what we find. That's not because the Bible changes. What you're seeing that is the impact of our heart and its commitment to what it is we'll hear. I talk about two different questions. The first is this. If you go to the Bible asking, what should I do? I often call this the owner's manual approach to the Bible. You know, friends, I want to tell you, if the Bible is an owner's manual, it's pretty poorly organized. Wouldn't it be better to just alphabetize things by topic? Let that be the first hint to you that the Bible's not given to command you what to do so you can get what you want. If you go to the Bible, if you go to Daniel 5 and say, what should I do? What's the answer? The answer becomes, I need to be like Daniel. I need to reject the offers of the world. I need to stand up to bad people and I need to read people the riot act when they're feeling overwhelmed anyhow. I want to tell you, what should I do is the wrong question to take to the Bible when you're reading. Something I've seen in this series through Daniel, Daniel, though it's his name on the book, he's not the central character to the book of Daniel. Think about that. He's actually missing in a chapter. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his gospel posse? He wasn't in the whole story. How can it be about Daniel? Because it's not about Daniel. The book of Daniel is about God. And so the question is not what should I do, but instead it's what is God doing? And so you see what God is doing in chapter 1 through Daniel. You see what God is doing in chapter 2 through Daniel. You see what God is doing in chapter 3 through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel can be absent from that chapter. Doesn't slow down a thing. Because the hero of the book of Daniel is the same hero of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's God. I don't come out of there thinking, hooray, David or Abraham. I better be like them. I come out thinking, hooray, God, you can use a guy like David. Could it be you can use a guy like me? So the question becomes, what is God doing? And I want to suggest when you ask that question, you conclude that God, through Daniel in this moment, is offering mercy at the edge of judgment. God is the main character in this story here. Daniel is God's instrument in dealing with Belshazzar. Hours before Babylon is overrun by the Persians, God is once again giving Belshazzar the handwriting on the wall. He's using Daniel to interpret it, and this is a singular moment. It's a call to repentance. Now, we're in church, but this is a place where I kind of politely as a pastor like to pull the pin on a hand grenade and throw it. You got to blow up some church language here. 
So I don't know what comes to mind for you when I say repentance. But for most people who've been going to church for a while, repentance means I got caught doing wrong things. I feel bad about it, or maybe not bad, but I at least feel bad about being caught. And so I better make up for it. And I want to tell you, that's moralism. That's not the gospel. That's saying caught, not adding up, found wanting, get busy, be good. And that's not the gospel. See, if that's what God was calling us to, here's a hint. We're all losers because we don't measure up. That's not repentance. Repentance is about a change of heart or mind, a change of direction. When that changes, my behavior changes. And what we have here in Daniel from chapter 4 to chapter 5 is a fork in the road. Nebuchadnezzar faces judgment and repents in chapter 4. Belshazzar faces judgment and doesn't repent in chapter 5. Nebuchadnezzar used to think he built Babylon on his own. Isn't that how the chapter goes? God strikes him dead, and by the end of the chapter, he is saying, oh, God is sovereign, and he raises up whom he pleases. There's a change in mind and a change in behavior, a change in what he's saying. Chapter 4 and 5 is, is a fork in the road. Both kings are faced by a challenge, but they go different ways. Nebuchadnezzar, I love this in four, uh, chapter 437, says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Mm. Isn't that what happens to Belshazzar? He was proud. He gets humbled. Belshazzar doesn't recognize God's sovereign place. Instead, we see Belshazzar handing out political favors for a kingdom that'll last about six hours. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. Daniel had already said he didn't care about the position in the arm honor. Belshazzar, rather than doing like Nebuchadnezzar, looking up, seeing God, concluding, I'm not who I thought I was. God is who he shows me to be. Belshazzar says, oh, I'd better start controlling my circumstances, buying this person off, building a team. Let's do what it takes. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 contrast each other to fork in the road. One faces the challenges of God and turns to God. One faces the challenges of God and says, you know, I'm going to stick with me. That's why this handwriting on the wall is so important. You see, this same handwriting is in the, on the wall for each one of us. Oh, yeah, I like to think I'm in charge and that I've earned this. But the Lord is sovereign. I told you, the identity I have as a human being is not something I've achieved. I, I wouldn't mind telling you the places I've worked and the degrees I've got and the things I've done, blah, blah, blah. But my identity comes from none of that. My identity is given to me. I receive it. It's not achieved. Yeah, I've done some things. Glad to use those to serve. But what matters is what God has given me from the cross through faith in his son. You are found wanting. I like to tell myself that I may make some mistakes, but I'm at heart a pretty good guy. And I want to be noticed as a good guy. Have you noticed that? <laughs> you see how my brokenness just infects everything? And when God is sovereign and sets the standards and I'm found wanting, I face the same challenge that Nebuchadnezzar and that Belshazzar but I'm at a different place in history. And so there's hope because of the cross of Christ. I don't have fullness in the gospel because God is anything less than what he said or because I'm anything less than a sinner. But I am something different 
because at the cross of Christ, he offers to me and I cling to him. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the gospel of God's grace right here in chapter 5. Can you ask the question, not what should I do, but what is God doing? And you can get this sense that God from the throne is raising up this old man, sending him into the midst of the drunken party and saying, let him know the challenge and turn to me. Mercy six hours before the kingdom collapses. That's the God who would himself as God the Son go to the cross and say, Bill, my life for yours. Will you take that? That's the gospel. His life for mine. His joy for my fear. His peace for my concern. What he has and what he gives, I then live out of. It's not what I am, it's who he is in and through me. That's how Daniel lives through the whole book. That's how he's doing it in this moment. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I remember years ago I used to read Daniel and think, oh, how am I going to be a tough guy like that? And then I began to realize, no, maybe I'm more like Belshazzar. And then I began to see in Daniel one who had come from the holy city, who would enter into a broken world, who would lead people to flourish, but point them to something greater. And I thank you that in Daniel, the figure of history, I see a shadow of Jesus, the king of history. That in the judgment of Belshazzar, I see the hope of repentance from Nebuchadnezzar and the amazing security and surprise of the cross that God himself would be just, but as justifier, take upon himself my brokenness. Father, I pray for each one of us that we might say, thank you, and then live out of that new strength and that new power and that new grace. You've called us to do and to be more than we can ever ask or imagine. Lead us into that with a joy and a power and a love grounded in humility because of what we've received. We make this prayer and we seek your face and all of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship.
now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.